This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. As you can probably tell, I have a little bit of a cold. Um, there's a little sickness running through the Trapasso household right now. Um, but today, I'm going to take a unique angle, and that's kind of how this podcast is taking shape, that I have a unique angle um, or structure every single week. I want to talk about five prospects that over the past week or so um, have made waves because they were listed in a mock draft or on a big board um, of some of the more plugged in veteran NFL draft media, most namely Daniel Jeremiah um, and Lanzerline from NFL.com that have recently posted either a mock draft or in Jeremiah's case, a big board Um I have some of these players fully graded. Uh, some um, still have to get their final eval done and their grade set in stone, which really at that point only changes a little bit based on what happens at the combine. Um, you know, might go back and watch a little bit of film after the combine to, to see if anything stands out after you see those numbers. Um, but a few I, I, I don't have fully graded, but I have watched all these five prospects. Um, and I want to start by talking about Mackay Becton, the Louisville offensive tackle, 6'7", 368. Um, it'll be interesting to see how close to that size he is at the combine. I mean, that's Orlando Brown, Trent Brown size. I think on film, um, Mackay Becton does a really good job against speed rushers. And Orlando Brown and Trent Brown win and have become really good blockers in the NFL, not because of their speed and their foot quickness, but because they create this gigantic arc with their height and their length. Um, Becton does that, but he's so good against speed rushers because he's, to me, a better athlete than Orlando Brown and Trent Brown when they were coming into the NFL. Um, he just, he's kind of twitchy. I mean, for being 6'7 and almost 370 pounds listed at that, even if he's 350, um, he is a rare specimen um, from a physical and athletic perspective. Um, I think he's great getting to the second level. Um, 
as a run blocker, never really gets bull rushed because he has just so much mass, and I think he plays with great knee bend. Um, so a lot of taller blockers, even if they're not 350 and up, which it's pretty rare to see that size, um, play high, can't really bend at, the, um, at their knees, and that's kind of how you're wonder or when you see them get pushed back, you're wondering, how can a defensive lineman push back someone 330, 340 pounds? Well, that's why, because... Center of gravity matters, leverage matters in the trenches. Um, but Beckton does a good job sinking. And at that point, when he's sinking 360 pounds and he has long arms, you're just not going to get inside his pads and underneath him and put him back. Um, always talk about this. Always write about this. Um, I use the term NFL strong. That for 99%, 98%, 99%, something like that, um, percent of the college prospects offensive and defensive line um even the strongest guys come into the nfl and realize oh i'm not even close to being powerful enough to win consistently in the trenches and, and if you cannot handle a bull rush and you're an offensive lineman you're gonna struggle ask garrett uh ask garrett bradbury about that this season that he had all the athleticism in the world at, at the center spot and he just repeatedly got pushed back um against pretty much any defensive tackle he faced for the Vikings this year. So, But I do think that Becton is one of the rare prospects that can come in right away and match power, match strength with defensive tackles. I think Tristan Wirfs is up there as well. It's a really good offensive tackle class. Um, Derek Brown from Auburn on the defensive side uh, is going to be NFL strong right away. Beyond that, maybe Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Um, there's not a lot of guys. And, and I'm talking about Becton. I probably should have said this earlier because Daniel Jeremiah had him going number four overall to the New York Giants in his mock draft that came out during Senior Bowl week. It was kind of the talk in Mobile or one of the talking points out at the bars at night um, and at the uh, Renaissance Riverview Hotel where everyone's kind of camped out during the day. That wow, it wasn't Andrew Thomas, it wasn't Tristan Wirfs, it was Makai Becton. But at six seven three sixty eight, it'll be interesting to see um, if he runs or how well he runs, and just if he's is he really only three forty five? Is he three seventy? Is he three fifty? The film shows an athletic freak that has all the size, all the nastiness, the balance, coordination, plays under control. I I really like him. I I would not be surprised if he makes a big rise during the draft season. Um, I've definitely not a draft analyst that cares about who liked a prospect first uh, during the pre-draft process. It doesn't. I'm all about actually getting the evaluations correct, um, but just doing this year round and certainly in season, I saw a first round prospect all season. I think there were a lot of other draft analysts that that had him there just by turning on Louisville film this season, um, and it. You have to go into every pre-draft process understanding that a lot of crazy developments will happen, that you'll look back at an article you wrote, a mock draft in January and say, oh, wow, no one expected this Patrick Mahomes guy to go inside the top 15, and, and no one was expecting Baker Mayfield to go number one overall, even Kyler Murray. So, um, and those are just, you know, quarterbacks. It, it happens at a lot of different positions, and I it would not surprise me at all. Just knowing what I know and just about the 
NFL draft process and what's happened over the past five to 10 years that I've been doing this, um, just so many, I mean, of those years, there's always a handful of crazy developments. I could see Mekhi Becton going number four overall because you cannot teach the size and the athleticism um, and just the strength that you don't have to worry about him. Oh, he needs a year uh, in our strength and conditioning program until he can really play at an effective level. I think he can come in right away and match the strength of defensive ends and even defensive tackles on stunts um, right away. So Makai back then, I do like him. I understand um, Daniel Jeremiah putting him number four overall. He's pretty sure for him and Lance Zerline both um, have him squarely in the first round. I think that's where he'll ultimately go. There isn't the off chance that he has an Orlando Brown type combine and Orlando Brown in 2018 was my number one t- offensive tackle, went to the combine. He had an I mean I I guess he had an epically bad combine, but at his size it wasn't as terrible as the numbers indicate. Falls to the third round. Smart organization like the Baltimore Ravens picks him uh and he's been a really really good right tackle for them. One of the best young right tackles in the NFL, if not the best young right tackle in the league. So there is that off chance that happens with Becton. I don't think it will because he just seems more fluid and twitchier um, and, and more balanced. Um, but Makai Becton, totally understand that. Next guy, Zach Bond, offensive or offensive outside linebacker, uh, edge rusher from Wisconsin. Um, today, number 16 overall to the Atlanta Falcons in Lance Zerline's mock draft. That's the highest I think I've seen him, whether it be ranked or mocked. Um, and Lance is definitely one of the most plugged in with uh, team front offices um, in terms of any draft analyst out there. So you have to, I mean, it is January and it's not that Lance is just throwing out total guesses here, but you know teams' boards are, are are not fully done yet, of course. So, but that does give you an idea of kind of where the consensus is ab- about him. That he, um, I would say, someone's number sixteen overall in a Lance Zerline mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah. Um, that there's a good chance that the league views that player as pretty much a first round pick, maybe a fringe first rounder at at worst. Um, I. I like Zach Bond. I I don't. Um, I'm not going to say that I view him as a slam dunk first round pick. I think, uh, which, not going to cite where I have these guys ranked or where they are on my big board yet because um, taking a little bit more time before I feel really good about like a top seventy five, but I think I have Bond like in the top to middle of my second round. Um, I really like his pass rush ability, and he's an interesting tweener in that. Um, and the term tweener has kind of changed over the years that 10 years ago, a guy was a tweener and it was like, Oh, he's not really big enough to play here, but he's too small to play there. So yeah, he's got to go in the fifth round now with how the league's becoming more positionless at every spot, especially on defense, um, teams like that versatility. So, but he's interesting hybrid because, um, a lot of these outside linebackers, that might give you some edge rush ability. They're a traditional off-ball linebacker first. They can cover well. They're good against the run. And then occasionally, you know, as a blitzer, you'd see him make some plays. Bond is a really good edge rusher right now, and he's going to have to transition um, to being more versatile in handling some of the off-ball linebacker duties. And in today's NFL, I mean, I I certainly believe I'm, and I don't know if this is the 
in the minority, I think it kind of is, that I think linebackers are more important than ever, that we've taken one off the field essentially, um, and it's really every team's using two linebackers today, and that extra uh, second-level defender is, is now a corner or a safety, but so to me, that increases their inherent value, and they're asked to do so much. Cover, stop the run, blitz. Um, they're, in, they're involved in a lot of plays. And with Zach Bond, he's going to have to learn um, how to read uh, quarterback's eyes a little better. Although he did make some plays in coverage, but I think he's uh, further ahead as a pass rusher. But he doesn't have the size to obviously put his hand in the dirt and be a defensive end. Um He's very bendy around the edge, great first step, um, I think. And we kind of saw it at the Senior Bowl. At times, he's going to just get pancaked by NFL offensive linemen. He's got the athleticism, and he's not af- afraid to to counter off his speed rush to the inside. Um, and he wins with that crossover occasionally, but at times, you know, exposing his midsection can really send him backward um, from some better and more athletic offensive linemen. I think that's going to happen um, at 230-ish pounds, short arms. Um, but you love his ability to just threaten the edge and bend and dip and flatten to the quarterback. That Those are traits that not a lot of edge rusher prospects have. And just some of them are quick, but they can't really bend and they get pushed past the quarterback a lot. Bond doesn't do that um, very often or doesn't have that happen to him very often and he's pretty good with his hands um they're not the most powerful hands um but he understands okay on this i have a plan on, on this play i'm going to counter to the inside because i've noticed this offense alignment is, is kind of oversetting in his kick slide so I, I like bond in that respect that he gives you the pass rush ability right away and that um he has the fluidity um, as an athlete to take on some off-ball linebacker duties, sinking in zone, maybe staying with um, a running back down the field on a wheel route. I don't think he's going to be great covering bigger tight ends because he's a little smaller. Um, But Zach Bond, I can see in the first round, another guy that I can see ultimately having a great combine and people seeing the big production at Wisconsin this season. And just the fact that the NFL is going smaller um, at a lot of defensive positions and quicker, and that's certainly what Zach Bond is. So that's another guy. I totally understand that one. Um, next guy, running back from Georgia, DeAndre Swift. Not totally done with his evaluation yet. He's one that last year I remember watching him and saying, wow, this guy is special. Like Just watching Jake Fromm, watching that really well-rounded team, I was like, this sophomore is special. And he had almost the exact same statistics, was again over six yards per carry in the SEC um, in 2019 like he was in 2018. But with Swift, I just I just don't see it. I, I, I And I'm not saying I see an undrafted free agent or a six-rounder, but a lot of mocks um, and, and these big boards, and I guess I'm, I'm really only citing two at this point, um, being Daniel Jeremiah and Lance Sirline, but... In the first round, in Lance Erline's mock, I believe Daniel Jeremiah had him the, as the first or the second running back. Um, there are some times that with Swift that he makes these awesome cuts where like it almost looks like you're wondering how did he see, how was he running right and just he made this super sharp cut to the left. Like there's no sink in his hips. He just makes the cut and he's gone. But a lot of 
to me, where his production came from was this Georgia offensive line that that's going to have three guys drafted this year: Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, the redshirt sophomore right tackle, who's another Mackay Becton type in that he's six seven, three forty, and a crazy athlete. And then Solomon Kindley, they're big, kind of wide-bodied, powerful. Um, offensive guard is going to go somewhere in the draft, probably top 100, because uh, he's powerful and he can move. I, I just saw him running through wide open lanes and not really showing great contact balance, um, but he can catch the football pretty. He's pretty comfortable doing that, so I think that'll help him. Um, I just didn't see a lot of jump cuts. I didn't see him making defenders miss repeatedly, especially having all the space that he had, even on inside runs. I didn't see breakaway down the field speed. I, I think I saw it in 2018. I just didn't see it this year. Um, and I don't know. I Maybe he's just, his running style is not exactly my cup of tea. I mean, Josh Jacobs, I wasn't very high on. He had an awesome rookie season, played behind a pretty good offensive line, and was fed the ball a lot, but I didn't see a lot of tackle breaking from him at Alabama. I almost see these two in a similar vein. So it's it's definitely I'm gonna watch um a lot more of DeAndre Swift and, and really, really zero in on it like to not have a blind spot with this style of running back that I maybe had um with Josh Jacobs last year that I saw him go down on co- on first contact often. I when I was watching DeAndre Swift just a few days ago, I was like and I had watched him during the season and put kind of a initial grade on him but watching him again and actually even last week in mobile when i was seeing everyone talking about oh yeah he's a number one running back he's gonna go top 20 i just didn't see a standout train i think in today's nfl to i mean he could go that high but beyond where the guys go are they going to be good or not that's kind of what i'm trying to provide the reader the listener out there um you have to be you have to have a standout trait you have to be incredibly fast or your lateral cutting needs to be absolutely elite or um you're the complete package like Saquon Barkley or Zeke Elliott that they could really do everything and I I think Swift is a great prospect um I just did not see top 20 when you're comparing it to other first round running backs that have gone um that high in the past couple drafts I to me I still think Jonathan Taylor is the most complete back and the closest thing to being a Christian McCaffrey or a Saquon Barkley Zeke Elliott Joe Mixon those those really talented bigger running backs that do have the jump cut ability and the contact balance um the elusiveness the speed down the field um DeAndre Swift's a better receiver than him I I just so that's one that but that's one that I I just don't understand the why there's such immense hype for DeAndre Swift right now. Two other guys I'll get to. Um, Ross Blacklock from TCU. Freak athlete. Like, he's up there. He's probably the most athletically gifted defensive tackle. He is the most athletically gifted defensive tackle in the class. I think a little bit more than Javon Kinlaw, and we saw what he did at the Senior Bowl. Um, just you, the first snap that you watch from Blacklock from TCU, you say, wow, that looks like Gerald McCoy, like early career Gerald McCoy or like Oklahoma Gerald McCoy, that his first step is elite and then he can sustain that speed through a gap. I thought he was high motor guy against the run. He could beat blockers. Um, inside was, didn't two gap a lot, 
But when he needed to, he could kind of read and react and throw offensive linemen to the side and, and almost make those one-arm tackles that you see that are usually tackles that stop a running play for a two-yard gain where they could have been a 10- or a 20-yard gain. Um, but I didn't see a ton of pass rushing moves. There was like one move, I want to say it's a swim move, that he likes to use a fair amount. Didn't see a ton of production. I know he got hurt earlier in his career, was a big recruit. Um, he's kind of consensus, like top 25. Um, he's definitely going to go in the first round. Um, I, I don't know if I'm quite there. I mean, I'm a big believer in, you know, the great athletes are typically good NFL players. Doesn't mean every great athlete is, but... That's a good base, a good foundation to have as a prospect that you're an elite athlete. So I, I like that. I, at this point, kind of see like fringe first rounder, think he just looks like a classic second rounder that, um, and I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick used to always say this, that um, because I did read his book by Michael Holly War Room, that like second rounders are like the guys that have the athleticism, but maybe not the statistics that you like to see. Um, the, obviously, the first-rounders kind of have everything. Um, that's kind of where I see Blacklock, and I could see him being a good pro. I think he's got length. He's got good power behind his pads. Um, he can bull rush a little bit, uh, but that first step is going to threaten offensive guards right away. So I, that's where I understand it. I don't know if I'm quite as high. So to me, it's not as... Uh, Big of a discrepancy is what I have with DeAndre Swift, um, but Ross Blacklock, really good prospect, probably will go in the first round and will probably be a pretty productive player who will have a long career. When you can lean on that athleticism and the size um, at a defensive tackle spot in today's NFL where that position has become so, so important in such a pass-rushing spot that I think that will really bode well for him. But to say top 20 definitely, top 25, um, Ahead of Neville Gallimore, I'm a little skeptical of that at this point. And the last guy, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU, um, believe he was tied for the uh, lead in receiving in receptions this year at the Division One level. He, you know, he had over 1,400 yards, ton of touchdowns, but you have to kind of take into context where you know that Joe Burrow threw for like a crazy amount of yards, had 50 touchdown passes, um, and. In watching Joe Burrow, watching the offensive linemen up front, Lloyd Cushenberry and Damian Lewis, um, that I just noticed, and I've said this before, but noticed so much of Justin Jefferson's production was either a screen pass, um, a slant on an RPO, or a wide open deep crosser. That Jamar Chase was that deep threat. Um, Terrace Marshall also was their kind of big body deep threat. Constantly on vertical routes down the field, would kind of drag everyone deep. And then Justin Jefferson from the slot, here he comes, and it's a 20-yard gain. Joe Burrow puts it on the numbers. Um, there's either a safety trying to come over from the deep middle that's not there or a linebacker who, after play action, was sucked up and then trying to recover and can't. So to call him a slam-dunk first-rounder just from the production standpoint, I get. But when you watch the film and you see more context. Um, I think he can shake guys at the line a little bit. He's kind of got that, you know, Stevie Johnson type of basketball moves at the line. And we saw in the college football playoff, he can make contested catches with a decent amount of regularity, but I don't know how fast he's going to run. I don't know how strong he is. I mean, he's six, 
list at 6'2", um, probably going to be around 200 pounds. Um, I don't, I mean, he didn't see press coverage very much. I don't think he's super powerful at the line, physical with his hands. Um, and I just don't think he's going to run super fast. So yes, the slot receiver, like we always say for slot corner now, a slot receiver is a starter today. It's not, it's kind of always had this somewhat of a negative connotation. They're like, oh, he's just a slot receiver. Like he's your third best receiver. Um, I don't think that's true, but, um, slot receivers are more of a dime a dozen than perimeter receivers are that have to deal with that other defender on every play, the sideline. So, uh, Justin Jefferson, I like him. I need to finish my eval on him. Um, but with this receiver class, and that's another thing. And and I think we're going to talk about this and hear about this a lot over the next couple, um, months that there's these really good prospects that, in normal classes would be surefire first rounders, but with how deep this class is, I think they should and probably will get pushed down a little bit. And I think that is that Justin Jefferson kind of fits into that mold. Second or third round for me seems more um, appropriate for him, but there's so much hype. It's LSU, this tremendous season. You're going to see so many LSU guys go off the board, especially, um, well, I was going to say, especially on the offensive side, but there's Caleb Von Chasen, there's Christian Fulton, there's Grant Delp, but just a lot of LSU Tigers off the board. Um, I think he probably will go in the first round. I've mocked him to the Kansas City Chiefs myself, uh, but that's just more of, of kind of what I think will happen. I don't know if I view him as, oh, this is a, a first-round pick. And, and that's not even really zeroing in on what Daniel Jeremiah or Lance Erlein's, uh like where they had him ranked, but I've just seen it in general. Um, a lot of mocks have him in the first round or very high, top 25, or a lot of big boards have him really high. I just don't think in this receiver class you can have Justin Jefferson that high. That's really what it comes down to beyond that a lot of his production um, was based on the offense and the scheme and, and how he was used as kind of there was other receivers that were threatening down the field, and he was this intermediate option or underneath option for Joe Burrow. All right, that's about 25 minutes. Uh, that's all I wanted to do today. I appreciate you for listening. Remember to subscribe, like, leave a review. I have, like, one review that says so bad or something. Um would be nice to get another one. And hey, if it's negative, that's fine. I appreciate you spending the time to write your negative comment. Um, But certainly, I appreciate you for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso. This was the Prospect Podcast.